Hi, my name is Brandon, and over the past year, the Delay Cafe team and I have traveled across the U.S. researching this rapidly growing industry of CBD products. What we have found throughout the industry were products that were inconsistent in dosage and used ingredients that weren't even lab tested. Products with chalky textures, bitter aftertaste, and worst of all, confusion among the CBD consumers. That's why we created Delight Cafe. A 15 milligram lab-tested, all-natural, water-soluble hemp CBD powder pack. It's odorless, colorless, and tasteless. Add it to your favorite drink of choice, wherever, whenever, on the go. Who can find your calm, your balance, and your delight Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Brandon Croucher. This is the newest episode of VH, an honest conversation about health, hemp, and happiness. Today, we are diving into a wonderful conversation. I got a few minutes backstage with him. His name is Matt, and I'm going to screw up his last name, and he can make fun of me. I'm going to call it Matt Karuna. And if I mess that up, Matt, get on here and make fun of my last name, Croucher. Just call me Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, whatever you want. Have fun with it. Um, I had He had what looked like a perfect on the outside of all of his life, like it was all together. I fell to pieces when he hit rock bottom. Severity of scaring and shocking those around me. Now he's a paraplegic due, a due to a suicide attempt at the age of 16. Five years later, he lives with the transformed mindset that he wants to pass on as lessons and he's come to learn and to inspire others to pick up and see the beauty behind the broken pieces so they can bounce back. He lives as a mental health fitness facilitator. I picture him in the gym just like with the brain going like... Sorry, that's just my bad dad humor. Inspires and influence others in the mindset for them to positively change their lives. So truth be told, guys, this is a very serious topic. This is a lot of like in-depth we're going to get into. And I'm honored Matt is not only here, but he's willing to be so vulnerable and open with this, that he's sharing this platform with us and being this amazing individual. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please say hello to Mr. Matt. Hello, Matt. How are you today? Hi, Brandon. I'm good. Yourself? I am wonderful. So first off, before everybody starts asking where you're from and all that, can you tell us a little bit about where you're from? <laughs> it's funny. You, you, you say you hear the accent, but I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm from Sydney, Australia. And <laughs> when you hear mine and you're like, okay, he's American, does it right away in your head go, oh, he's American, <laughs> like like right off the bat? Or is it like, oh, maybe he doesn't have that bad an accent? <laughs> I mean, so it, it's funny because people in Australia either love or hate America. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is. Personally, I love the way you guys like conduct yourselves. You guys, are, you, guys, you, guys, you guys have a lot more conviction than I think we do as Aussies, but just my, my take on it. So I can appreciate the accent. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Honestly, I just, as long as you be honest with people and open, I think people like are pretty cool, but I know that there's people that go around and they like make inappropriate jokes. And I like, you know, I, all I can think of is crocodile Dundee would be one joke I would not want to make right now, but they're the only ones that are going through my head. So I won't do it. Um, 
unless you're in the sky and the early jokes you really come up with right right like i'm like i don't know anything else other than like like the baby ate my dango and i just don't think you want that one you know like just too much triple the bobby or something like that <laughs> you're with me see i knew matt would get this you're a good man i got it so all right first question out the bat and i asked you if this would be okay so nobody thinks i'm being an asshole or anything is right off the bat you were 16 and what you don't know about my story is when I was 16, my best friend actually did commit suicide. And I was with him 10 minutes before he actually pulled the trigger. At 16, it really does change your life in a lot of ways. Tell me what was going through your mind. What happened that made you think that was your only way out? Yeah. And so it's, it's a great question. And the way I want to frame it is that it's a common misconception that, you know, suicide is just like something happened and all of a sudden it's like, Oh, now I don't see any other way out. It's, it wasn't that for me. There wasn't any particular event. I was feeling this way and believing that I was worthless for four years before that. There was a long period of feeling worthless or feeling depressed, deeply insecure that just led to this. And yeah, it started when I was 12. 12 years old is awfully young to be starting to feel depressed like that. Did your parents take you to a doctor or anything? Like, like I'm, I'm at that's such a young age to have a diagnosion of already being depressed and having those negative self-talk self words. <laughs> it's yeah, the best yeah, way yeah, I can yeah. say it. <laughs> well, well, that's it. Well, that's, a, that, that's a perfect way to frame it. Self-talk though. It's funny you mentioned that, like the diagnosis and all that stuff. I wasn't seeing a doctor. I wasn't diagnosed. I was all, I kept it all to myself. So the reason this came about is because I really liked connection with my parents. I, I, and mm. I, 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 I did the absolute best to keep my real self and what I show my parents as two completely different things. Yeah. And you know, because I felt deeply like, you know, disconnected to my parents. I'd always hear, you know, everyone has a purpose. Everything happens for a reason. I grew up and I was raised Catholic, not bashing religion, though by hearing, you know, you'll find your purpose through God, through the Bible. It never made sense to me. It never really resonated either. And that's when I started, you know, questioning myself. Well, you know, right, well, what's my purpose? What's the yeah. meaning of my life? Why am I here? But at 12 years old... <laughs> <laughs> How do you answer that? Right. right. <laughs> so I asked myself, ask myself a second question because I'm like, like I don't like having like an answer un, like unanswered, question unanswered. So I'm like, well, if I was gone and dead, would anything actually change? And, you know, it's hard to answer that when you're alive. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I asked myself, well, if purpose is about adding value to others, do I actually play any role in society? Do I add any value? And that's when I have my answer. Because mm. I'm 12 years old. I have no job. I live at home with my parents. I'm only at school. So I'm really just taking up space, right? Mm. Yeah. So if I was dead, nothing would actually be different. There would just be more space for someone else who had more meaning in their life, which then meant that my, my life meant nothing. And that's when that label of worthless really yeah. sunk in. When it started to hit you like that, did you want to talk to your parents? Oh, oh no, no, no. So, firstly, I'm I feel like, I feel like disconnected already. But secondly, no one's talking about these emotions. They keep yep. them all to themselves. 
problems, right? They mm-hmm. if they're upset, they will maybe they'll go to the corner, like isolate themselves, just stay quiet. They won't they won't say much, but they won't say anything about how they're feeling. And so, really? if that's how we're communicating about emotions, what do I do? At twelve years old, that's all I know. So that's what I do as well. Kept it to myself. And, and you know, like it's same thing at school. Like my friends, like I'm not going to talk to them. So, yeah, sorry. No, why are you sorry? I, 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 I'm, I'm in my head. I'm going. How many people feel like that? How many people are stuck in that situation right now? Now, I made the joke before we got started how I showed two ladies your profile picture and how they both were like, ooh, he's handsome. Like, my thing is, the one's 14. That means she's two years away. She can already start to feel that. How many kids are in her school having those thoughts like you had? And what can we do to matter? Like, how do you bring attention to this? How do we have these conversations so people aren't? holding them inside and feeling yeah. they're the only ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really interesting you bring that up because at, so, and if I go to, to the frame of mind that I was at at 12 years old, right? Here I am feeling this way, thinking this way. Everyone else at school is smiling. Mm-hmm. Everyone at home is smiling. Why don't I feel that? Mm-hmm. Like I'm smiling too, just so I fit mm-hmm. in. So I mean, people aren't asking questions, but I don't feel that. And so I'm starting to think I'm the only one. And now when we're mm. not talking about it, that starts to become a belief within people that we're the only ones thinking and feeling this way. And with what I do now, it breaks my heart. So I hear the same story over and over again. It's, it's the exact same story as mine. Like after I run my workshops, hey, Matt, I've been feeling and thinking like this for this many years. I've been doing this and this, and you're the first person I've told. Mm. Now, mm. I, I, and why that's the case why am i the first person they're telling i'm a complete stranger though i've created a space where it's okay to talk about you know Mm. we need to address the dirt that's been swept under the rug for so long because that rug is just going to rot over time yep i agree so where does somebody start with that then like where like what would you tell Uh, random strangers are willing to walk up and have this conversation with you they say to you something on the lines I've felt this way for years. I've been depressed. I've thought about suicide. I've planned it out. What would your first advice be to them to, hey, not you. What would be your first advice be to them of making sure they know that even though you're a stranger, you care about them and you don't want to see them hurt like that? How do you connect with people like that? The first thing is you need to be able to listen. If someone's going to make themselves open and vulnerable to you that's a big thing it's a big step mm. and our reason I'm, it sounds so simple listen but brenda let me ask you how many times do you talk and you know someone else is not listening it's easy to tell right yeah right off the bat right and so let's say you make yourself vulnerable and open. They're listening they're going to feel belittled they're going to feel like they're not worth it that they keep to themselves so if we're physically there with them give them your physical presence don't be on your phone don't be like doing paperwork or whatever. No, be physically there, physically listen. Mentally, when they're talking, put your attention on the words as they're saying, try to understand them. Then mentally, sorry, emotionally listen, show empathy, try to understand, put yourself in their shoes. That's how we can really firstly support someone because if we're not present, if we're not there listening, there's going to be no connection. How do you have any support when there's no connection? So that's definitely the first step because it's so overlooked. Man, man, 
second thing, you can't judge. You can't judge. You, 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 need, to, you, need, you need to be able to sit there with them. And maybe that they need a place to express. Don't, don't be trying to shove advice down their throats. But if they ask, then, then share from your place. And I'm all about that. I, I love how you phrase that because that's exactly what it is. You're, you're understanding from an emotional side and you're actually giving them attention because the biggest thing with people who go through that is they don't actually feel connected to people. That's why they feel they're alone. That's why they're feeling that sadness. Um, I, I used to hear the word when my friend did, oh, it was a cop-out. He was just taking the easy way out. And I always thought that was like, that's like such a BS answer in my eyes. It's like, that's not a cop out. It's he didn't feel heard. And you're 16 years old at that time. You're 21 now. Uh, am I right? 21? Okay. Cool. 22 actually now. <laughs> ah, okay. I'm like, because it said five years. I did the math and I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I'm off by a year or two. But like, you're still very young. When people say to you, oh, like, you know, you're lucky you're alive and all that, or, oh, you, you, that's a cop-out and stuff like that, what's your response to people with those negative emotions towards that? Can I, can I share a story with you? <laughs> a- Absolutely, man. This is your time. I'm just coming. I'm going to ask you questions. I want to get yeah. to know you. <laughs> so, 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 this was before I left hospital, right? So, in hospital, it bugged me. It bugged me, man. So... You know, I'm in a coma for two weeks and I wake up and not only am I left with the same emotional and mental challenges, physically I'm now in a much more difficult situation. I can't function or feel half my body, right? I'm, I have a spinal cord injury and I start freaking out. And the only thought that's in my mind is, you know, I've been worthless now for so long and believed that the only thing I wanted to do, I couldn't do right. How pathetic am I now? How, yeah, oh, I, I never hated myself more. But when I got into the spinal ward, like a month later, you know, everyone in there is asking me the exact same question. Like, I'm a baby, I'm 16, right? They all want to know what happened to you. You're so young. Like, how'd you get a spinal injury? Like, everyone in there is like middle aged and up, right? You can't, you, in a spinal ward, you can't get away with saying you had an accident because everyone had an accident, right? So, you just, I, I, all I would say was I had a fall. But it's not just people in the ward that want to know this. People that come visit me, even complete strangers in public, they're all asking the exact same question. Why are you in the wheelchair? What happened to you? And all that, right? And I understand it's curiosity, but at the time, I, I just didn't get it. Though I never could come to terms with the fact that I failed, right? Now, three and a half months go by. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm a week away from leaving hospital. And I went with my mum to Penrith. We got some, I got some piercings on my eyebrow and, you know, cause I got these piercings. I was actually, you know, like a little bit lighter that day. I was actually kind of like upbeat and on the train ride back to the hospital. Now halfway through the trip, this guy comes on, you guys call them rednecks. We call them bogans. And he, before he even steps on, right. <laughs> he looks to his right. Doesn't even take a seat. He's like, Jesus, what, what you do to yourself? God, look at you. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's like he's just no filter but there's this like oh, I don't know what it was man it was a mixture of like how abrupt he was but how happy I was in that moment as well it just came out I, I the first time I said I attempted suicide to a complete stranger he turns to me laughs that was pretty fucking stupid look at you 
<laughs> right? And you're like, wow. Like, I, I don't want to share with anybody else. Like, good Lord. Like, but you're here. You're doing this. You're an inspiration for it. Now, I've got to ask, once you attempted, how did your family respond? How did your friends respond? Like, how were you? Because, like, I, that's 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 got to be hard to have that conversation with them. Like, I didn't even ask how you attempted because I don't want to make you say anything you don't have to. But, like, did they know you attempted? Or was this something where you made it look like an accident? So, th- so everything before my attempt, I did my absolute best to show the world that I was not what I really was feeling. I wanted to put up a front for everyone to the point where, you know, I was obsessed with, you know, the gym, becoming muscular, becoming big and all this stuff. And I posted a photo, made it my profile photo. Everyone believed me, all the likes, comments, friend requests, girls inboxing me, all that stuff. And then a week later, I go and attempt. I, I made the world believe that I was someone I wasn't, right? Mm. Yeah. Did I, did I try to hide my attempt? No. It was blatant. It was, it was pretty obvious. When I, so I'd planned exactly how I was going to do it, where I was going to do it, the time of day. I just didn't know when. I, I It's like I wrote a freaking script in my own mind. I, it's like I visualized the exact same thing day in, day out for over a year. And mm. that night, I remember, so I, before I snuck out of my house, I sent a text to my girlfriend at the time, not telling her what I was doing, but let's just say, if you read the text, you'd know exactly what I was doing. Like, <laughs> given, like, yeah, what I was saying. And just like, yeah, anyways. Then I sneak out of my house to my local shopping center and I jumped. That's how I attempted, right? The next morning, my, my dad wakes up and I'm not there, right? And and he's searching the house and my family wake up and they're, they're all freaking out. They call the cops, but the cops have already, already been called because at 5.30, I was found by some local construction workers doing some like work at the time in, in the spot that I jumped. So they put the two together. So they knew it was, an, it, was new, it was an attempt at suicide, not an accident. Though, when I was in hospital, everyone's reaction, this is what, so... Like, uh, I didn't see it coming because for so long you had the belief that you're worthless and no one cares. No one loves you. You're not wanted. And, and there was a journal that my family brought actually. And it's to this day, actually, it's, it's, and I I actually really should see this and like go revisit it. I haven't looked at it in in a number of years. I haven't thought about it in a long time, actually. But it was a journal that people, when they would visit, they would write notes in. Mm. It was their way of processing their emotions at the time. And the the only page that I've read is the first page, which was my dad. And I had never seen him cry. And to read that was like, yeah. It threw me off my tracks. I for so long believed I was so worthless and to, to, to have that in front of me, he, he, his, yeah. What it did to him really actually, it, it gutted me. In, and even in that mindset at the time, it really challenged me. 
and mm. seeing my friends in tears as well when they came to visit and n- not many people i mean knew how to it, 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 well no one saw it coming that's the thing so no one knew how to take it so they all were processing it in their own way and one thing it did though when i started reaching out by the way that guy on the train was the catalyst to that he was a catalyst for me actually starting to open up it's the guy did wonders for me but like <laughs> it's yeah right i found out who my true friends were because now now who values me as much as i value them is is there because mm. it's it shows it shows mm-hmm. and, and tough times bring that out and it, it's sad that we have to sort of go through that to really see it but i mean yeah the truth comes out yeah. right I, can you think of anything, someone that maybe could have said or done something to stop you? I love that question. I love that. Question. I know. I read that and I'm like, oh, wow, yeah. that's a good one. So, this is the thing how you support someone is going to be very different for each person. Everyone's in a different place, right? Though, if someone's in a crisis situation like I was, right? What they're seeing in that place that no one loves them, that that they're worthless. That's why they're having these thoughts. Though, what if you flip it on its head? Mm. If you're with someone, what if you were to put yourself in their shoes? But ask them, if I was in your place right now, if if everything you're telling me right now, I was sharing with you, what would you say to me? Mm. So what you're doing... They don't believe anyone's there for them, but I I guarantee you that they would be there to support you in the same situation. So now, if you would be there for someone, would they be there for you? Mm. If they if, if if someone if if they value you, would they, in reverse, value that person? So, mm. helping them see what they don't is what we need to be able to do, and the first step. Is connection. We all need connection in our lives. I mean, you are. Though that layer of helping them see what they don't mm. will help them bring, have a glimpse of hope. Mm. And maybe that yeah. they didn't have before. Speaking of that, when you're speaking with people, Mama Gotti has another one here that I spotted, and I got to make sure. Do you, did you initially struggle with any of that guilt? or shame uh and how did you overcome that because that's a really tough thing absolutely the the guilt and it was more shame i would say than anything else because i believe no one cared that no one loved me Mm. i failed at the one thing my one goal that i wanted to the one thing i i wanted to achieve but i I couldn't do that right there's a sense of disgust and hate that i had within myself for, for the longest time and the thing is, when you're not accepting reality, when you're constantly suppressing it, you can't accept it. It's impossible. And so by me telling people I was, I only had an accident, that I only had a fall, what I really was doing was suppressing the truth. When I started to actually, so after that guy on the train, I went and saw my social worker. The first time I willingly saw her without her having to chase me up. And then I share what happened. And she's like, Matt, maybe open up to that, to that guy. Just got things off your chest. I think it's a bit lighter for you the next morning. You know, you went and saw me. We didn't even have a session together. But 
what if you were to open up to people close to you in life? Could you then potentially strengthen the relationship you already have with them? Now I tell you, those words I will never forget because they challenged me so much. But that, you know, it, 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 it stayed in my head. It stayed in my head that day because I didn't even hear it. And my girlfriend, she came to visit. Right? When she came to visit me, I mean, for the first time in the longest amount of time, I was real with her. I shared my emotions, how I was really feeling that day. And get this right, here I am in hospital, scrawny, skinny, can't function or feel half my body in a wheelchair. And four months ago, I was ripped, lean, muscular, the best I'd ever looked at the time. And she says, Matt, I've never loved you more. I've never felt closer to you. Right? And and so just by sharing that and by expressing it, I was able to deepen the connection that I had with them, that I had with her. And yeah, yeah, man. I mean, did you see the difference with the people around you? Like, did you see that it started to fill you in different ways? Like, so my question I actually wanted to ask was different. It was about the negativity that's still there. And when you have a moment now and all of a sudden something hits you, do you feel or hear those voices still that were there? Or have you figured out how to turn them off and be like, shut the fuck up voice. You're not, you're not Matt. I'm Matt and I'm living my life. Like, have you been able to turn those off or what do you do when you hear them now? The trick is we can't shut off our thoughts, right? And so what we can do, though, is shift our mindset. That's the difference. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, like you, you can probably tell in certain moments of me sharing already, some of the stuff is still like a pinch point for me, especially like mm-hmm. the, the normal. I mean, I mean, yeah, can I have to read that? And next time I go to my dad's place. But it was through finding what I loved which was inspiring people, which I, I had by uh, by chance, I suppose I had an opportunity handed to me. I'm very, very thankful for because by me staying in alignment with that, by staying, you know, I'm not speaking every day. I'm not running workshops every day. No, I'm not. But what I am doing is I'm, I'm working towards that, right? I'm staying in alignment with it. Whether it's me making a social media post, whether it's been doing like having a chat like this, whether it's anything, it got a phone call. Each and every step I do brings me one step closer towards mm. what I love doing. And that purpose of inspiring people, of being able to give back, add value. Yeah. And the fact that I love it and do it every day, yeah. that's where my mindset started to shift. Because now my life's not about being worthless, but doing something that's worth it. And oh, I love how you phrase that. Sorry, keep going. That, I'm going to write that out for everybody. That's my point. That's my point. <laughs> I'll shut up. Oh my God, that just hit me. Like, I'm like, wow, very profound there, Matt. I love that. <laughs> yeah, man. And so, I'm, and this, the thing about it is deep inside of us, we all have this uniqueness to us. Now, looking back on my entire journey, right? starting from 12, you know, asking all these questions of myself. What really happened is I've, I've now become the person I asked for. And that includes the wheelchair. 
Because without it, I wouldn't be in the position that I am. And so what does this tell me? Well, no, the, the, maybe the worst thing that have happened to me is now something to be grateful for. Maybe the challenges that I faced were just getting me ready to be the person that I am today. And mm -hmm. that uniqueness about me, what I do, and I'm so big on this, is authenticity. Authenticity is your most real expression of you, your most authentic voice. So to, to fully own that uniqueness about you is your purpose. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, if, you're, if your heart's beating, you don't ask for it to beat. It's beating for you. Something's keeping it going to keep you alive. Something's fighting for you. If you don't feel like you have purpose... Remember, something's fighting for you. Mm. Mm. Everyone has purpose. So I received a question from somebody who would prefer that I don't use their name. And they sent a message. Um, they don't feel comfortable asking the question because they feel depressed a lot. And they feel that they're different than a lot of people. And... How do you help yourself feel comfortable being yourself? Because they've never felt comfortable being themselves. The first, the first thing I, I want to share, the first, the first step towards healing is actually feeling. Now, I was blessed that I was, I was stuck in hospital for four months, right? I had no place to run. I couldn't go get high like I used to I, I, and just escape my emotions. I couldn't go to the gym and just blast myself until I would throw up or whatever. No, like I had to sit with the discomfort that I was feeling. But that would be a blessing in disguise because the emotions were there for a reason. If they're coming up, they're sending you a message. You yeah. Now, if you're constantly suppressing these emotions and hiding and running away from them, you're not accepting yourself. How can, how can you feel that you're, I mean, like, I suppose you won't feel like you accept, you won't feel like you, how do I say it, connect and actually get along and are accepted by others if first you don't accept yourself. Mm. Uh, mm -hmm. allowing yourself to feel it and the best place to start after that if, if you're going to share with someone which i highly suggest you do is someone close mm. you have to be a complete stranger like i did on a train you might get a you might get a off <laughs> a weird reaction <laughs> <laughs> so to get on a train and see what people say and ask for your most vulnerable uh, vulnerable parts of your life i like your advice i'm gonna do this tonight like just get on the train and see what they say but like in all seriousness it's, it's a stranger made such a connection with you that it opened up part of your eyes that maybe or your heart that you didn't even have that you didn't even know you were hurting on has your have you noticed a change in how you treat yourself through through everyday life now? Have you noticed mm -hmm. that anything different inside you that yeah like makes yeah. you know that it, yeah go on, Matt. it's all yours yeah man so it's what that guy on the train was what the social worker was with me 
Now I want to give some give some context here. So with psychologists that I, that I was seeing in hospital, because before my injury, I never really saw anyone, right? They were always, uh, it's just my take on them. Look, they had the best of intentions though, saying, oh, you know, everything will be okay. And you know, it's, it's all right and all this stuff. I'm sorry. No, I just fucking attempted suicide. I'm 16 years old. I don't function or feel half my body anymore. Are you fucking in this situation? No, you're not. Who the fuck are you to say that? So what was this guy on the train? What was my social worker as well? They were real. Now, they didn't treat me like I was depression. They didn't treat me like I was anxiety or whatever a label that, that anyone would give me. They treated me as me. And they didn't change how they treated me because of the wheelchair. They were real. And so how I, that voice inside of me now and how I treat myself now is I'm real with myself. If an emotion comes up, I allow myself the, the space to feel it. I allow myself the space to express it. Naturally, uh, when an emotion comes up, it's a key that we first experience and then express our emotions, experience and express our emotions. But then also owning the thoughts, right? The voice inside of us that's before any thought comes up that causes us to, you know, do something or say something or, you know, just like go somewhere. Like, you know, that feeling you get, like gut feeling that, you know, something feels right. Owning that voice, that's your intuition calling you. And so that voice inside, I follow more. I'm now more real with myself as a result. What was the hardest part of learning how to follow that voice? Is the fact that, you know, am I right? Or if I follow that, what would others think of me, right? The first time I followed that voice, that's honestly just, this is the biggest turning point in my life. My social worker, this is now, I'm home at this stage. It's almost a year after my injury. And she's asked me to come to the hospital and she has an opportunity. She's like, Matt, there's this program at the hospital. If you're open to it, you would share your story. So give or take 30 or so young people, same age as you, by the way, you would share your story. And remember that guy on the train, how that made you feel? What if you helped others help you? Mm. And let's mm. just say, before I said no, I said yes, because I didn't even think of it. The reason I said yes was because this voice in, in this feeling from my heart, man, it was so strong. Mm. If you help someone else, how'd that feel, Matt? Mm -hmm. Wow. And like, I just said, yes. And you know, I followed that voice. And the first time sharing was three months later in March, 2017. I'm sharing, right? And all I'm thinking is, what have I done? What have I said yes to? Oh, holy shit. What are they thinking of me? And all this stuff. But really, I mean, as I was there judging myself afterwards and everything, I'm freaking shaking too. They were coming up to me and they said, Matt, you inspired me. Mm. Thank you for sharing. And some even said they wanted to help their friends. And that was, yeah, I mean, hearing that, let's just say everything I believed for the last five years had been completely just challenged in that point in, that point in time. It's like mm. good angel battle going on right now. The one voice saying you're worthless, you're a piece of shit, all this stuff. But no, you inspired someone. I followed the voice that was inside of me. I got feeling about sharing. And I started to trust myself that little bit more. Now, I'm no longer, now, it's not like the depression just went away after that. No, far out. It took, it took years. Though, it's a different mindset that I have now. That's why I say I wouldn't change anything. But it was mm. about owning that voice. It's hard. It's uncomfortable. Because we've been taught to know, think before you say something. 
grow up, all this stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. The, like, that authentic voice, that, re- that gut feeling, there's a reason we get that. Mm. People call it mm. fraud, our intuition, whatever you want to call it, owners. Before any thought comes in and starts filtering it, whatever that first gut feeling was, that sense is what we follow. Mm. Mm. Matt, like, you're young, but you really aren't. Like, you have a wealth of knowledge in there that is just deep. And I want you to know, like, I'm really impressed. And I, I love your vulnerability. Um, a lot of people who have been through what you did, they don't want to be out front. They don't want to talk about it. And you're taking something that could easily be a negative part of your life. And you're like, fuck that. I want to show the positive. And I love that you're doing that. I think that, that there needs to be more people like that do that it, see their negative and they're use that as their light. Um, I, I want to pull your website in here. I shared the link and all that. Uh, there's people that are watching this that don't even realize that they're <laughs> yes, there's dishes being washed in the background and dog sounds. I love the comments that they like to throw at me like that. Go give us a like, guys. How about that? <laughs> So Matt, Matt's here and he's talking about a very serious topic and this, he's a suicide survivor, but you also have yourself labeled as a mental fitness facilitator. Can you explain to me what that is? So my corny dad joke of, you know, working your mental brain out and all that, <laughs> reading a book and all that. Can you tell us more about what that is? Got a brain lifting some weights out over there. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yes. Oh man. But, but it's exactly that, right? So think of physical fitness, right? We all, I mean, so, so if, if you, if you want to build up the strength in your arms, you, you lift weights to keep the muscle, like not only strong, healthy and fit, the same with our mind. We need to do mental reps, so to speak. So like things that keep our mind healthy, things that keep our mind well, that's so key, right? So viewing, Mental fitness, the same as we do physical fitness, the way we can, you know, become more mentally strong, understand, overcome our fears, build some resilience and the ability to bounce back, just like a basketball. And as far as I brought up basketball, it's very pre- relevant for me right now because I've been starting to play recently, but yeah. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm going to have fun with this. Uh, so how are you enjoying are you going to play in like the rugby leagues and all that? Like they actually, I, I say this because I'm, I'm working with some people and the wheelchair basketball team here in Cleveland works directly with our NBA team. And I think that is amazing that there's these individuals that are like, I'm not letting this chair dictate me. And you guys are way more dangerous than the basketball players at times. (laughs) How are you enjoying like going out there, doing these things and being able to like experience life in such a different way? What is like, what makes you go out and play basketball? Why are you not like, just like nervous? Something else is going to happen. I think I would be nervous, but you've experienced life in such a different way. Tell me about like what that does for you. I mean, you've already injured half your body. I mean, what more are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well played. Check and mate on that one. Well played. Oh, no, that's so, funny. The, it's, it's generally fun. It truly, truly. I, I, I suppose before my injury, I used to play basketball as well, which is, I suppose, a little bit of a bias there. But um, 
there's something simple and just beautiful about, you know, basketball where it's like, you either got it in or you didn't. Right. Like, and I think it's just the, the simple things in life we can really learn to appreciate. And that kid that is inside all of us, let's just say when I play basketball, that's my inner, inner kid coming out, just going and just shooting hoops. Yeah. Yeah. Doing what I do. Yeah. <laughs> right. Owning that uniqueness, the authentic voice that, you know, we all have that authentic version, our unique self. That's what basketball is for me. Love that. What a great, what a great answer. You, like I said, you're 21, 22, sorry, whew, math. you're 22 and you're already light years ahead of people that are your age. And I say that because of the fact that you really are leading by example. I, in your profile picture on your webpage, you're speaking in front of all these kids. What has been something you've noticed with the next generation? And I ask this because I know the statistics, it's the suicide rate is on the rise higher than it's ever been. It's been growing more than ever and living through that to tell us, tell the truth of what that does to people. Mm. With that being said, what are you hearing from the next generation about these things? What are you hearing from the youth? Stresses and pressures are increasing. It's funny, but you, you talk about that photo a little bit. That photo there was the first time I had spoken in front of a group of year sevens and just year sevens myself. So these kids are like 13, 12 years old, right? It was a very emotional moment for me because I like, I remember being in that position right there and looking at, at, at those students, I felt like I was talking to myself at 12, a bunch of me's when I was younger. And in that moment, you know, Afterwards, like I already shared beforehand, like how people come up to me and they always share the, the same story, like how I'm the first person they're telling, but they've been feeling this way for so long and all this stuff. When I had that happen at that workshop, let's just say I knew that I'd become the person I needed when I was 12. And so with that, when, when we're needing the real conversation, that's what that's what that's what they're, that's what they're telling me. They're not directly telling me that, but it's what their you know their actions are saying. For example, I've gone to like this is one school in particular, this behavior school. I will never forget this school. The same year that um that I did that that one, this was about six months before that. Let's just say I got to the school. I didn't even know it was a school, like because there was no sign that said it was the school and no gates. There's someone walking around and he was the principal. I, I, I'm like, thank God I found him. And we were talking and after a couple of minutes, he, um, he's like, look, Matt, just give me a sec. There's a kid trying to leave. And he goes over and he's like, oi, look, why are you leaving, man? Like, and he goes over, he stops him. He's like pleading him like, look, just stay in school today. You have court coming up tomorrow. You know, you have to stay. Like if I give you a bad rap, it's not going to be good for you. Your charges already are at this level. Things can only get worse. And the kid is just, I mean, like, let's just say like, he's like <laughs> fuming inside and he lashes out. It doesn't physically hit him. I swear. I've never seen someone so close to this. I've been to behavior schools beforehand, seen a similar thing, but not to this degree. Anyways, I ran my workshop. Let's call that, that, that the guy that was trying to walk out. Let's call him Luke. Luke wasn't there a part of, a part of the workshop. Though the principal came to me after 
means like, look, Matt, Luke wasn't there, but would you mind spending some time with him one-on-one if you have, you know, a spare hour or so? Like, yeah, his charges don't let him stay in the same room as everyone else. Playground, different story, but not, 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 not inside. I'm like, okay, sure. I, I booked the day for you guys, of course. Now, here is Luke, right? I'm with him. And he saw me with the principals. He's already thinking of this guy's, you know, he's on to, uh, he's with the principal. I don't know if I can trust him or whatnot, right? So he's, all walls are up. All walls are there. Though, when I was with him, I was like, look, I'm, my, me asking questions, I'm not going to get anywhere. Why don't I try to just break, break the barrier? Why don't I just be real with him? Like everyone else has been with me, that changed my life around. It was amazing. I started sharing, not just about the struggles and stuff. I then went into my journey, my experiences within drugs, like and dealing and the whole dark world that's behind that. And he started relating no, to, to a lot of the experiences and the thoughts and the emotions. And he started then sh- asking questions and sharing with me. And, you know, he, he shared the story with me. It was his first charge. He was 12 years old. He was with his best mate. Now, Luke and his best mate are at Luke's place. His best mate is outside the um his place and he lures a kid into the house they go upstairs into luke's room and you know luke's there his mate shuts the door goes up oh kid give us your watch and gives his shoes and the kid's like what do you what do you mean like, what have i done and he's like dude no like give me give us your watch gives his shoes and his mate's like all right wait luke go on stab him and the kid's like starting to freak out and he's, he's not giving it over. So he's like, all right, stay here. Luke goes downstairs, goes to his mum. Hey, mum, where's, where's my knife? Here you go. He goes back upstairs. And kid still refuses, but he stabs him three times and robs him. Now, he also shared his mum was an ice addict. His mum denied everything when the cops came. He's never met his dad and all this stuff. He's a kid with all these walls up, right? And now he's asking for advice and sharing. At 12 years old, at that workshop, right? That you put up, that's on my website. Didn't feel like this for so long. And now the first person they're sharing is with me. The common thing in all these stories that I'm sharing is that I'm being real. What the young people are telling me, what even adults are telling me when I go in the corporate world and I run workshops there, it's the real conversation that we're not having. It takes someone to break the ice and then everything just starts melting and everything becomes real and we can all see it. And that's what people are telling me. I mean, their struggles, I mean, are coming from comparisons. They're coming from you know, pressures put on them. They're coming from, I mean, I mean, also bullying is one thing as well. Though, yeah, that's what young people are telling me. We just need the real conversation. We just need to be breaking that ice. I 100% agree with you on this one. Have you, how can parents... I know this is going to be more of an opinion thing, but how can parents actually connect with their kids so their kids can feel heard? So that way that ice is starting to be broken down. 
And I say that as someone who I don't have any kids, but the truth is I know that a lot of my friends' kids talk to me. And that's because I talk openly like you and I are talking. And they've told me about those things. And a parent is very, they have this already game that they're playing in life with each other. But there's got to be a way to break that ice down because kids just want to be heard. What would your advice be to people to mm. be able to help break that ice with their their kids? This is something big that I actually workshop with on corporates and just on that. And I want to really sum up like what I workshop on in, in probably three points with this, right? I call my three cornerstones of meaningful connection. First step towards anything is presence, right? I mentioned before listening, being like physically, mentally, and emotionally present and listening, complete presence. Second is rapport. Third is vulnerability. So with presence, when we're there listening and the biggest thing that's going to lead and create rapport is empathy that we mentioned the emotional listening, put yourself in their shoes, understanding because rapport is built off of a feeling of commonality that, you know, they get me, they understand me. And so by keeping that there, that presence by showing empathy, we naturally build rapport. Then we have a certain vibe in our relationship, right? The third step. And this is the, the, the common link. Most people are missing the vulnerability side, which is what allows for strength and support in a relationship. Now, the thing is typically people that they look at where they're at, where, where the other person's at, for example, parent, kid, parent here, kid here. It's like, well, wait, what if we broke the barrier, got to where they're at? And so how can a parent make themselves vulnerable? Well, they can not, firstly, not hide their emotions, feel free to express. Say, if you've had a rough day, look, Joey, look, Daniela, look, I've had a rough day. I just want you to know, like, like dad's been upset. Mum's been like, doing it rough today. And by being real, what we're doing, and because the thing is, kids are sponges, right? Especially when they're on the 12. We are indirectly influencing them to be more expressive as well, to experience their emotions, but then be expressive, to be there for them, to listen. And naturally, for showing empathy, we're going to be building rapport as well. Matt, geez Louise, like I, I'm not like not used to somebody as wise as you, as young as you, like you have a great energy about you, my friend. And I'm sorry for that negativity that came through you that made you feel you needed to do that. But at the same point, truthfully, I'm grateful that you're here. Uh, you've done some, you're, you're helping so many lives by being vulnerable like that. And I say, don't ever fucking change because you are making a big impact on this world and people like you are who we need more of. And thank you for being thank so vulnerable. You. Oh God, man. I thank you. I, I had to mute myself cause I almost cried at one point. Like you were like, so vulnerable. I could feel it. And you're just, you, I wish there was more people like you like this because truth be told there needs to be, we need to hear that those, these voices, we need to hear these conversations. Um, I'm sharing your Instagram right now and I want everybody to be able to connect with you on here. You could see, look, follow. Okay, guys, 
he's doing his motivational speaking on there. He's doing mental health or mental fitness facilitator on there. He's all about talking with you guys and getting out a good positive voice. You can see he's busy doing a lot of great things. Give him a follow, give him a subscribe and help him. Whatever Instagram is to follow. I forget. I always forget that one. I, I'm used to saying subscribe, but make sure to connect with him and ask questions because He's not just there to be a pretty face and get the followers and have the chicks follow him or anything. He's not just there because he's a great basketball player and all that. No, he, he's here to help people. And it's an honor to have someone like him step into the cafe like this and join the conversation that we have. Um, so, Matt, the way we end every single show is we speak positivity out to the world. Uh, what I mean by that is... I'll show you how I do it first, and then you get to close the show out. Just whatever has been on your heart, whatever you want to share, just give it out to people. So that way, the spark of Matt is creating that forest fire throughout the world. All right? I'll go first to give you a minute to think, too. I don't want to make you, like, throw you on the spot. All right? Yeah. So, guys, I, I'm very seldomly speechless, and – Matt has me sitting here just enjoying so much of what he's saying because he's he's providing logs to a fire. He's building a foundation around him that speaks truth to such a lost generation, and he speaks it from experience. We all have that fire inside us, just like Matt said, that individual sparks, that individual who we are. But the truth is a lot of us put out our own fires. We blow them out and we let them just go away. When you have somebody like Matt come in, God, it's important to let not only hear the story, to share the story, but it's important to know the darkness that came and the bright light that he's shining on it. Be that light into the world. Be that light. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Brendan. I just want to share with everyone the obstacles and challenges we face in life. They're not setbacks. They're not, they're not failures. They're not just hard times as well. They are hard. They're not just that they're preparing us for the future They're, And I'm sure we could all look back whether it was a year ago, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years, however long ago, and, and maybe we can say, what if our life had to turn or had to flip upside down for us to see what we didn't from the other way around. And the thing is that just everything's just preparing us for what's coming next. If we've been faced it, it's there for a reason. Though, if life's going to give you a wheelchair, you make sure you pop some freaking wheelies. <laughs> I love that. What an ending, Matt. That was awesome. Guys, I'm going to share this again. Make sure that you guys don't only just like give him a like, but follow him and tell him hello from the Delight Cafe. Uh, Matt, you are welcome back anytime, my man. Uh, I love your story. Thank you so much for being a great light. And I wish you the best on your next interview. I know you got to go quickly and all that. So uh, thank you for everything today, buddy. Do you have anything you'd like to add? Final words, final shout outs to anything? Just thank you. Seriously, Brendan, I appreciate this opportunity. 
truthfully. It, it, it's honestly conversations like this that raise that just raise my vibration. That you know fulfill my heart. It, this is this is my purpose, and I can say thank you. True. Thank you. This is mine, and you raised my vibration today and helped our community. So thank you, Matt. Uh, have a great day, guys. And remember, it's Wednesday. It's hemp. It's hump day. It's hemp day. If you don't have someone to hump, don't worry. I have some CBD for you. You can take some hemp and find your calm. I heard that in the background. I have him laughing too. Uh, I got everybody and threw myself off. So find that if you can't find someone to hump. We've got your CBD for for you to find your hemp to get through the day. Have a great one, guys. Thanks for being here. Bye, guys. See you later.